From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on August 24th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information on this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. Programming note. Alert. Programming note alert. (laughs) We will be dropping the Tuesday podcast a little bit later on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, hopefully Tuesday, because I will be traveling, so please bear with us. Uh, It's not even a vacation. It's basically work because it's a family thing. (laughs) Give me grace. Bear with me. But with that in mind, folks... This is a big episode, so you can spread it out. You can you can keep it going until Tuesday just to keep your fix before the next pod drops. It's a big one. You know, like we say here, when it rains, it pours, and it comes to the news, it's the same thing. So just a heads up. In this episode, we bring you coverage of the South Carolina Supreme Court's 4-to-1 decision to uphold the state's six-week abortion ban law, which is now in effect. We also have another deep dive in this episode, and we look at the first Republican presidential primary debate in the big moments with two of our homegrown candidates. And we have analysis, too. We paid paid for analysis in this episode. Donkey sauce. (laughs) The lead loves hearing from everyone. That's why we have set up a voicemail box so you guys can call and share your thoughts, your hot takes, and your questions at 803-563-7169. You can also text that. We're also interested in hearing your feedback about the podcast itself, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of, what you want to hear less of. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's on your mind. 803-563-7169. Okay, y'all know this has been a very busy news week, and we're taping on Thursday, and it's not even over yet. Now, this episode was supposed to just be debate only, folks. Okay, that's how I talked to the news gods. We had an arrangement. There's an understanding. That did not happen, okay? It became a very busy week because the South Carolina Supreme Court handed down its 4-to-1 decision to uphold the state's controversial abortion law that outlaws the medical procedure at around six weeks, which is when an electrical signal representing cardiac activity, not a heartbeat since the heart is not formed yet, can be detected by ultrasound. This is also a time when many women don't even know if they're pregnant. And if they do know by, say, week three or four, that might be too late to obtain the abortion pill from the state's three health clinics because in some cases, there are waiting times up to three weeks. If you're not in Greenville, Columbia, or Charleston, then that's even more of a challenge. Now, abortion access advocates stressed on Wednesday that folks should continue to reach out for assistance if they're seeking an abortion. But we have so much to get into, so let's start off with an overview, which South Carolina Public Radio's Vince Colblugo got from reporter Mayan Schechter about this new law. Here's their conversation with Mayan explaining what the decision means. So simply it means that abortions are no longer legal past the ultrasound detection of cardiac activity. And that's typically around six weeks of pregnancy when many don't know that they're pregnant. There are some exceptions. They're very narrow. They include uh, if the pregnancy is a result of rape or incest, that's only up to 12 weeks and there is a reporting requirement. There's also fatal fetal anomaly and the patient's life. But in short, the new law means South Carolina now joins the list of southern states that have aggressively sought to restrict abortion access. And South Carolina now becomes one of the most restrictive states in the country. 
So the state Supreme Court ruled earlier this year that a similar abortion ban was unconstitutional. Tell me, what's changed since then? So the biggest change is the court makeup. When the Supreme Court in January made that 3-2 ruling that ruled a six-week ban unconstitutional, there was one woman on the court that was Kay Hearn, and she had to retire due to the state's mandatory retirement age of 72. In her place, the legislature elected Judge Gary Hill, and that resulted in the all-male court. Now, of course, after months of infighting between Republicans, The House and the Senate finally came to an agreement to move the six-week ban forward and and compromised over their their discrepancies, their issues with that. There was also a swing vote. Justice John Few, who was the swing vote in January, wound up writing in the majority uh, this go. So, Mayan, I know this is a big question, but where do we go from here? Sure. I've covered the legislature for over five years, and I have colleagues who've covered it far longer. And I would never confidently say this is the last we'll hear about abortion restrictions, because every year that I've covered the statehouse, there has been a debate. Earlier today, Senate Majority Leader Shane Massey told reporters that he does expect this issue to be a general election issue for voters. But he also said that he hopes that the legislature takes a breather after having this debate all year. This is the consensus policy agreement here. So I, I, I hope that this is um, this is where we'll land um, for for a while. But next year, of course, is election year. All 170 lawmakers will be up for re-election in November. So restrictions are sure to come up. And we already know that there is a concerted effort to oust vulnerable Democrats and even oust some of the Republican female senators who voted against the abortion ban with Democrats. As far as what comes next for uh, Planned Parenthood South Atlantic, here's what their public affairs director, Vicki Ringer, had to say. Quite literally, until we change the players, the plays in South Carolina are going to remain the same. Two great friends of the pod there. And we continue our team coverage with Scott Morgan, who will also bring us additional coverage in the coming days, along with other reporters. But he got this reaction from two practicing gynecologists about how the law will affect them and their patients. Prenatal care doctors in the state are some of the most vocal opponents of strict abortion bans. In large part, says Dr. Crystal Tomlin, that's because people who wrote the law and people who practice the law are not the same people. If I'm being legislated by people who don't know medicine, then that's going to impact my ability to truly provide quality patient care. Dr. Tricia Seal says she's worried for families who will need late abortions in serious situations, given the strictness of the law. I do a lot of second trimester terminations of pregnancy for maternal health conditions and for fetal anomalies. And for the brief times when we've had our six-week ban in place here in South Carolina, that was devastating to those second trimester families. The all-male state Supreme Court voted four to one to uphold a ban on most abortions past six weeks. Minutes after the state Supreme Court decision was handed down, I visited the Planned Parenthood clinic here in Columbia with Mayan. There we found a Planned Parenthood escort waiting for folks. The patients, some of whom had traveled from as far as away as Texas to South Carolina, were turned away because the 22-week abortion law that was in place before was suddenly no longer the law of the land. There were also members of A Moment of Hope, which is an evangelical Christian outreach for women arriving at Columbia's Planned Parenthood. According to their website, they train, equip, and mobilize Christian believers to be peaceful, prayerful, law-abiding messengers of gospel-centered hope and practical help. One of them was 16-year-old volunteer Rebecca Leitner, who expressed her joy at the Supreme Court decision. 
Um, I have never seen this happen before, so I was so excited. Like, this is another, this is a step forward. <laughs> and praise to God because I've been praying this, to, for this to happen for years that I've known about um, Planned Parenthood and this ministry. It's, it's been awesome. And I keep praying that one day it might be banned completely. Now, I could read you part of the decision and the concurrent opinion by Justice John Cannon Few, who was the swing vote in the January 3-2 decision in Planned Parenthood 1. But I'll use this clip from the May hearing in which Justice Few questions Planned Parenthood Federation of America lawyer Catherine Humphreyville to give you an idea of his thinking about the 2023 law compared to the 2021 law. Again, Cannon Few, Chief Justice Donald Beatty, and now retired Justice Kay Hearn, the last woman to serve on the South Carolina Supreme Court, found that the incredibly similar 2021 law violated our state's constitutional right to privacy. There is, contained in the statements in that act perhaps, an encouragement of, of our citizens to think more actively about contraceptives. That's one. Secondly, there's this somewhat considerable treatment, at least in the briefs, of, of the idea that couples who are sexually active should be, should be actively thinking about pregnancy testing as a way of giving the couples more choice. Is that not a valid notion? Uh, so first, Your Honor, with regard to the contraceptive issue, I think you're absolutely correct that this is required by the Affordable Care Act. That that is already existing in federal law. And second, that they enacted the same policy. It's a six-week ban, just like SB1 was, uh, goes to the uh, issue that that's you know, not a separate policy determination that would justify departing from Planned Parenthood 1. With regard to pregnancy testing, what the state is attempting to do here is shift the burden uh, from it to not violate uh, South Carolinians' right to privacy to the women of South Carolina to take a pregnancy test every day. As a practical matter, that is not what women are doing. People are not sitting around uh, taking a pregnancy test every day. They have jobs, they have children, they have other determinations. They're not regularly tracking their menstrual cycles. And so that doesn't change anything. Beyond that, uh, the statement of the sponsoring senators uh, that the other side relies on, those don't go to show how pregnancy tests actually work. They claim that pregnancy tests are, uh, are accurate before someone's missed period, but those tests are actually more effective, most effective, after a missed period. Planned Parenthood held a conference call after the decision and a rally outside of the State House, where about 30 activists showed up, chanted slogans, and waved signs at cars passing by on Gervais Street. There, Annette Bethel was in mourning, and as such, she brought with her funeral food. For her, that's Popeye's fried chicken. Oh no, it's no food and salad for me out of my garden today, but you know. <laughs> Bethel is the president of the state chapter of the National Organization for Women, and she said the decision by the state Supreme Court and the law passed by the Republican-controlled legislature will lead to greater infant and maternal mortality rates, which are already high in the state. But this was her reaction to the news that day. I can't say what I really want to say, but a bunch of men that are older, that can't procreate, are telling us of childbearing age that we need to procreate. There's something wrong with that. Emily Scott held up a homemade sign that said, quote, grab them at the ballot box, quote, signifying that she hopes there will be changes to the makeup of the all-Republican state house, even though the Republicans made gains in the 2022 election. Oh, I'm, 
I'm so disappointed. Um, we've gone backwards since, I mean, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and we've gone backwards. So abortion is health care, and the one thing I think is this is going to help us energize voters. Now, we'll continue to cover this issue in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. And please call in if you guys want to give your input, if you want to share a story, something we should cover. Let us know, 803-563-7169. Moving on, somewhat. Abortion was also a topic that came up in the first Republican presidential primary debate hosted by Fox News in Milwaukee on Wednesday evening. The topic, along with the economy, climate change, former President Donald Trump's fourth indictment, crime and education, were the big topics that eight qualified candidates tackled during the two-hour-long and at times unruly debate. I spoke with College of Charleston political science professor Gibbs Knotts about some of the moments that stood out to him as well as former South Carolina GOP Executive Director Alex Stroman, who was at the debate with a strong contingent of South Carolinians. Trump opted not to attend and appeared in an interview with former Fox News personality Tucker Carlson. But we're going to focus on what happened at the debate. Now, the biggest takeaway that Gibbs had was former Governor Nikki Haley's performance. Take a listen. I thought it was a great night, Gavin, for Nikki Haley. She didn't have a lot of time speaking, but when she spoke, she really made it count. I don't care about polls. What I care about the fact is that no one is telling the American people the truth. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill, they left us with 90 million people on Medicaid, 42 million people on food stamps. No one has told you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to fix it. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in. And they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so at the end of the day, you look at the 2024 budget, Republicans asked for $7.4 billion in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. Vice President Pence. That was Haley there going right in on some of her top opponents right out of the gate. And she didn't stop there. Here's Gibbs. She uh, definitely flexed her foreign policy chops and prowess. You know, as ambassador to the U.N., she spoke with a lot of authority about the importance of supporting Ukraine. She talked about uh, issues related to China. I mean, she really went after Ramaswamy uh, and sort of, I think, highlighted some of his inexperience. I thought it was a great night for Nikki Haley, somebody who's looking fairly good in some South Carolina polls, but really still low single digits nationally and not really doing all that great in Iowa and New Hampshire either. So she needed a big night, and I think she had a pretty good night last night. Now, here's that huge moment Gibbs was talking about between Haley and biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, 
who was getting into fights specifically with former Vice President Mike Pence, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Oh, how you doing? And about an hour and 20 minutes into the debate, when it came to Ukraine and Ramaswamy said he wouldn't support sending more money to the country at war with Russia, Haley had had enough. I would not. And I think that this is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. We are driving Russia further into China's hands. The Russia-China alliance is the single greatest threat we face. A win for Russia is a win for China. We have to know that. Ukraine is the first line of defense for us. And the problem that Vivek doesn't understand is he wants to hand Ukraine to Russia. He wants to let China eat Taiwan. He wants to go and stop funding Israel. You don't do that to friends. What you do instead is you have the backs of your friends. Ukraine is a front line of defense. Putin has said, if Russia, once Russia takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a world war. We're trying to prevent war. Look at what Putin did today. He killed Pergozin. When I was at the UN, the Russian ambassador suddenly died. This guy is a murderer, and you are choosing a murderer over, over a pro-American country. First of all, first of all, first of all, Mr. Ramaswamy, you have 30 seconds. Mr. DeSant, you know, Nikki, I wish you well in your future career on the boards of Lockheed and Raytheon. You know, I'm not on but the, the fact of the matter, Boeing came off of it, but you've been pushing this lie. You've been pushing this lie all week, Nikki. You want to go and defund Israel? You want to get Okay, let me address that. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to address each of those right now. This is the false lies of a professional politician. There you have it. So you the reality make America is, less safe. you have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, it the shows. Foreign policy experience that you if you're wondering who Nikki Haley is or how she operates, well, you saw it on full display Wednesday night. She's been waiting years for that debate moment, and she landed all of her punches. But here's what former SCGOP executive director Alex Stroman thought. So I think if I'm Nikki Haley, I'm, I'm extremely pleased with my uh, Nikki Haley, uh, you know, granted things can play differently in the room. I was in the room. Uh, sometimes they play a little bit different on TV. But for all all accounts, Nikki Haley did an incredible job last night. Um, yeah, I think that one of the best things about debating is knowing when to strike. And I think a couple of candidates, um, sometimes and I think like Vivek Ramaswamy, I think really tried too hard at times. Sometimes you have to let a moment come to you. And Nikki Haley uh, really, I think, let that moment come to her, and when it did, she shined. Keeping with Haley, the question starts to become, however, was her message too geared for general election voters compared to those hardcore primary voters that pick the nominee who goes on to the general election? Here's how Gibbs describes the situation. I think Nikki Haley is a really, really good general election candidate. You know, obviously she's pro-life, but she talks I think about abortion in a way that could, she still could win some uh, swing states and some of those key suburban areas that are so important when you when you go out go out and try to win swing states. Uh, you know, she I thought, but again, is that going to be is that going to alienate Republican primary voters, especially in Iowa and South Carolina, where amongst that particular group, it's pretty hard line on abortion. And so uh, I, I just think you know I think that's the challenge for her is. Uh, Part of her case is that she's a strong general election candidate, but if she can't win the nomination, then she can't win the general election. So she's in a little bit of a bind. Take, for example, her response on talk about a federal 15-week abortion ban and her consensus approach versus Mike Pence's response. 
When it comes to a federal ban, let's be honest with the American people and say it will take 60 Senate votes. It will take a majority of the House. So in order to do that, let's find consensus. Can't we all agree that we should ban late-term abortions? Can't we all agree that we should encourage adoptions? Can't we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can't we all agree that contraception should be available? And can't we all agree that we are not gonna put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty if she gets an abortion? And I've been a champion for life in the Congress, a champion for life as governor and as vice president. And uh, to be honest with you, Nikki, you're my friend, but uh, consensus is the opposite of leadership. When the Supreme Court returned this question to the American people, they didn't just send it to the states only. It's not a states only issue, it's a moral issue. Where it should be, but when you're talking about a federal ban, be honest with the American people. We haven't honest. had 45 pro-life senators in over 100 years, so no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president could ban all those state laws. Don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. 70 percent of the American people support legislation but to 70 ban abortion. And yes, Senator Tim Scott was also in the House in Milwaukee, though he didn't tangle like Haley did. Here's him responding to Fox's Brett Baer after things went off the rails, following a question about whether climate change was caused by human activity and Ramaswamy saying folks on stage were bought and paid for by special interests. Are you bought and paid for? Absolutely. Are you bought and paid for? I'm sorry. Are you bought and paid Absolutely for? Absolutely not. I mean, it, it, here's what the American people deserve is a debate about the issues that affect their lives. Going back and forth being childish is not helpful to the American people to decide on the next leader of our country. Number one, wait a second. Number two, as a kid who grew up in a single parent household mired in poverty, I wondered, was the American dream real for kids who are devastated by poverty, devastated by the challenges of life? I came to the conclusion that America can do for anyone what she's done for me. Stroman said he wasn't too thrilled by Scott's performance. I think that Tim Scott is somebody who is is a proven leader, a strong conservative, and just an all-around really great guy. And you're not going to change that. And, and Tim Scott, and something needs to be said about somebody who's not going to hit other people just for the sake of hitting them. I mean, Tim Scott is, is knows who he is. He's true to his faith. He's true to himself. And But I do think there is a little bit of an issue when it comes to the party wants a fighter right now. Um, I think that Tim Scott is a fighter, but he's not angry about it. And, and I've said this before. Tim Scott is a conservative. He's not angry about it. And he's somebody who has the ability to really win a general election, but I'm not sure that Republican voters don't want someone who's not angry. Um, and and I think that's a that's speaks much more about the Republican base uh, than it does Tim Scott. But let's go back to that climate change question, which turned into a bit of a free-for-all after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis launched in on it unprompted after they were asked to raise their hands if they believe that climate change was man-made. And Ramaswamy was booed for calling climate change a hoax but Haley found, again, another opening to dunk on her opponents. Hey, Governor Haley, would you like to respond? Deserves. Are you so bought Brett, and paid what for? what I would like to say is the fact that I think this is exactly why Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. First of all, we do care about 
clean air, clean water. We want to see that taken care of, but there's a right way to do it. And the right. right way to do it is, first of all, yes, is climate change real? Yes, it is. But if you want to go and really change the environment, then we need to start telling China and India that they have to lower their emissions. Scott, again, faded into much of the background, but no gaffes or anything like that, similar to Ron DeSantis. Both were strong when they needed to be, and for Scott, he left them laughing while making light of transgender issues in his closing statement. I was a disillusioned young man growing up in a single-parent household mired in poverty. I wondered if the American dream was real for a kid like me. I can stand before you today and say the dream is alive, it is well, and it is healthy. I had the good fortune of a mom who worked 16-hour days making sure we have food on our tables. She taught me that if you're able-bodied in America, you work. If you take out a loan, you pay it back. If you commit a violent crime, you go to jail. And if God made you a man, you play sports against men. Gibbs had this takeaway on Senator Scott's performance from the debate and a bit of a recap. Yeah, definitely reaching out to evangelical voters. I mean, he talked about his faith a lot. And that's, you know, I think Tim Scott's play is to do better than expected in Iowa. That's a state where the evangelical vote is extremely important. And then, you know, use that as a springboard to South Carolina. I don't see him as as quite as strong in New Hampshire, uh, you know, kind of given some past history and the fact that so many independents vote in New Hampshire. But uh, yeah, I think he was, again, okay, but didn't necessarily kind of Uh, get the headlines or he's not being shown a lot on sort of the clips on the news the next day in the way that Nikki Haley is, uh, Ramaswamy uh, and and Mike Pence. I think those three maybe throw in Chris Christie. I think Chris Christie would have been more effective had Donald Trump been there. But I thought Christie had some moments as well. Now, there were so many other moments that I clipped to share, but there's just such little time in this podcast, folks. I wanted to focus on our folks, the people that you know more. If you want to hear more about the debate, I'm sure you're being bombarded by it on cable news or other podcasts, which I encourage you to listen to, such as Politico and The Daily. They had some good recaps there, folks. But I'm not Maggie Haberman, okay? I love you. But I also wanted to note that there were not only two South Carolinians on that stage, but we also saw video clips of Congressman Ralph Norman, Nancy Mace, as well as Senator Lindsey Graham. So South Carolina folks, we're a big deal. I didn't see any North Dakotans on that stage besides Doug Burgum. Also, several candidates were back on the airwaves Thursday morning. Haley was on CBS This Morning, ABC's Good Morning America, Fox News, and Bloomberg. That's just Haley making the rounds. The bounce is real, and that makes up for some airtime on stage. And Scott, he was on Fox News as well. But let's really quickly look at some quantifiables, right? JL Partners conducted an online poll with 504 registered Republicans who watched the debate. 28% of respondents said that Vivek Ramaswamy had the best night, narrowly beating out DeSantis at 27%. Former Vice President Mike Pence came in third at 13%, followed by Senator Tim Scott with 8%, and Nikki Haley at 7%. These results come with a margin of error of 4.4%. Now, over on the betting website Predict It, we saw candidates' odds fluctuate as a result of their performances. And as of Thursday afternoon, Trump gained three points to 61 cents. Ramaswamy up two points to 20 cents. DeSantis dropped by three points to 13 cents. And Haley held steady at six. And Scott was up a penny to five cents. So if you're betting, go place your bets, folks. Let us know who you better for. 803-563-769. Lee does not endorse betting.
Welcome to the wind down section. Our little break from the news. And AT, it's not just a little break. It's going to be a quick break. <laughs> it's so quick little. Break. What a small little break from the news. Quick, I mean, quick. we had so much news. I mean, I'm, I'm using too much of the break. <laughs> Speak <laughs> really quick. It took, it took so much to put this episode together this yes, week, Yes, uh, it is 5 p.m. on Thursday right now. We are working overtime by one minute. We're in double pay, okay? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Gavin, we do have a call. Is that okay with you? Yeah. It's a very good... We've got Scott in this episode. We've got Mayan. We've got Vince. Vince, we've Vince got, briefly took over this this podcast, if you listen to his questions, and I'm like... Three very good <laughs> friends of the pod, so why not round it out with one more great friend, Okay. Oh, that would be music oh, to my ears. That be great? Okay, here That'd we make go. Make me feel good. Here we go. Hello, Gavin and AT. This is your friend Meg. I am calling from somewhere on Interstate 26, which if you are a longtime listener of the pod, you know this is Gavin's and my home away from home during campaign season. I am on my way to see a candidate who is something here in our lovely state. And I was just catching up on the pod, so I thought I would give you guys a call. I miss you both. It's been too long, so we need to get together. Gavin, I will look for you on a press riser near me at some point in the future. I also wanted to give you guys a little info just about the whole timing of birthdays, which was recently discussed. My daughter, Adair, just turned 12, and she is one of those with a summer birthday, and so she had elaborate plans for big pool party with her friends from school and she is very popular she has lots of friends very much unlike me I have a handful of my ride or dies you know who you are but everyone was out of town because it's summer and it was at first something she was really upset about but then when her besties actually showed up there were about five of them she said to me later you know what mom summer birthdays are okay because I really just got to hang with the people I really love and not just all the people I invited because I felt like I should. So, you know, there's a little bright spot, I guess, for the summer birthdays. One more quick thing, my birthday, which, as we all know, is celebrated for at least a month, um, the whole month of May, is May 18th, which is the day on which I graduated both high school and then college. So for those two birthdays, my 18th and 22nd, literally no one wished me happy birthday because it was all, oh, congratulations, happy graduation. Oh, P.S., yeah, maybe it's your birthday. We don't even care because, yay, let's celebrate everyone. So I graciously shared my birthday with my graduating classes in high school and in college. I was able to graduate grad school on a different day, thank goodness, so I could have my birthday that year all to myself. But I just wanted to share that with you guys because birthdays are important. And, Gavin, I know, unfortunately, you have to share yours every single year. But that just gives all of us who love you all the more reason to celebrate you every day. Hugs and kisses. Bye. Meg, oh, mm. what a breath of fresh air mm. to hear from our oh, uh, just, such a I friend mean, the pod. Such good friends' voices in this pod. Mm-hmm. Meg, thank you for calling. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad you got this call in uh, before yesterday because yeah. I'm sure your yesterday was total garbage. She was having a long day, and that was after she went and saw Robert Kennedy up there yeah. in the upstate. RFK. Um, and I hate that I missed that trip, Meg. I just yeah. didn't get the press advisory, so I didn't go. But um, I want to also say, in addition to her having to share those birthdays, she shares her birthday with my 
eldest brother, mm. Nicholas. Oh, yes. May 18th. So, sorry, Meg. It's, it's, just, it's a lot to deal with there when we're talking <laughs> about Sherry. I love that she let out those repressed birthday memories. That's what we're here for. Let it out, sister. Just it's a dump safe it, space. Dump it in the hopper. It's always open for all the all, everything that, that you're holding inside. Let it out in the hopper. And maybe, <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> and maybe we'll get Nick to call in, because I know he listens, which I think is funny. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. And, and I mostly find it amusing because... Uh, this podcast from my father was given to me, not him. Yes. So it's not his. I don't see him Nepo hosting baby. any podcasts. I'm a Nepo baby. It's You're okay. the Nepo baby of the family. That's good for you. Well, I think we've probably already gone over. Yeah. Uh, if everyone, if anyone watched the uh, the debate and you have some hot takes, please Give call us a in. Shout. We really want to know. If you got hot takes on abortion, please call in. We want to know. So much yeah. stuff happened this week. So much stuff. You, you, you got to weigh in on You first. have a duty, you are duty bound. D-O-O-D-Y bound to Jesus. call in, okay? Yeah. Bringing it back to Dave Matthews Band. Uh, so please call in. Yeah. We love you. Have a good weekend. Wish Gavin good travels. And uh, yes. sorry you have to spend so much time with your family. It is a curse. Anyway. No, I'm looking forward to it. That's why I'm not going to be able to see Meg on a press rise or anytime soon, especially on Monday, August 28th with Haley and Scott DeSantis coming through the state. But we'll have full coverage Tuesday's pod, so be looking for that. Um, but I love hearing from folks just like Meg. So give us a shout, 803-563-7169. You might just end up on the pod. You probably will. Also, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love that, too. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. And I don't know the legality of that scenario. You, you know what I mean? Tax loopholes. I know. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> you know my residence is technically at sea. Oh, you rascal! I've I've done it quite a few times. <laughs>